we go with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Welcome to the latest episode of SBL Shootaround. We're getting ever so close now to real basketball action here in Western Australia, less than two weeks out from the West Coast Classic. So we're all looking really forward to that. But what's also setting the basketball world a lot here locally is our NCAA tournament to crown the ultimate SBL championship winning team. We're down to the final eight teams and Ben Etridge, my co-host, and Mark Utley, the Calamander Eastern Suns head coach and, and all-round basketball Legend in WA. We'll take a look at predicting who will make the final four now in our tournament. And we've also got two very special guests. So this is another massive episode of SBL Shootaround. I hope you're all looking forward to it as I am. I'm Chris Pike. And joining me this week, and we'll get to some breaking news about his health very shortly, Ben Etridge. It's almost silly to ask how you are because you're not in too great of a shape. Yeah, well, look, I don't think I was in great shape before, but um, even worse <laughs> now. Yeah, I've suffered a, a patella tendon tear or snapped a patella tendon off, off my knee and have had surgery the last couple of days. And now I'm on the long road to recovery. Probably about time to hang the boots up, I guess. And if anything, it might keep me sitting down on the sidelines a little bit longer than up and down uh, yelling at people on the court. So, But yeah, not the greatest of a way to head into a weekend last week. So, yeah. Mm. Now, you, you've been talking a little bit on the show about how much you were enjoying being back part of the action. I think you're playing at, at Warwick there and you're part of the, the the Thursday night action there and you were starting to find some form and some touch again. Now, you actually made it sound quite tame, your injury. It was it was actually a lot more graphic than that, wasn't it? It was, it was It's pretty severe what you've suffered. Yeah, so essentially I've been listening to all these people tell me how I used to post up and be a big guard <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So yep, instead yep. of just running three-point line to three-point line, chucking up a few Steph Currys. I went down on the block and basically channeled my inner Damien Maddox and spun into the lane and jumped up to do a layup and just landed innocuously in the middle of the keyway and heard a pop. And mm. the next thing, I was lying flat on my back on the ground, clutching my knee, and I was looking at my, my right knee, and I realized there wasn't a kneecap sitting where it should have been sitting. And the first thing that went into my head was that I dislocated my knee. So I've seen the guys in the footy smack the side of their knee yep. to get the kneecap back to the middle. So I've given it about three hard smacks and realised that there was no kneecap coming back to the middle of, the, of, of my leg. So I've pulled my short towards me and my kneecap was sitting about 30 centimetres up in the middle of my thigh. My, oh, essentially my, wow. my patella had napped and my quadricep had just pulled the knee, my patella, my kneecap up into the middle of my leg. So once I realised that had happened, there was a few loud expletives let out mm. as I tried to push my kneecap back down, which didn't really work. And then luckily enough, the teammates were on the, onto it. It took about five of them to lift me up into the wheelchair and then they took me out to the foyer and the, the staff at Warwick were very, very helpful and called an ambulance. And probably the biggest thing for me, few people know, but I'm actually a, a needle phobic. I, I pass out oh, on the side oh, of a okay. needle. So um, the ambulance has come in and they've said, we can give you some um, pain relief either in an IV. And I just said, give me the green whistle straight away. Yep, yep. Um, so I've had the had the green whistle on, on the ambulance ride up there and then managed to get all the way through until just before surgery, before they stuck a needle in my arm, which oh. probably made me pass out before the anaesthetic did. So, <laughs> And then I woke up, my knees in a, in a ankle to hip cast and I 
can't sort of move too much. So, but yeah, the the road to recovery starts now. And I guess I was sitting here today thinking about it, and it's all these conversations that I've had with guys that have done ankles and knees and those sorts of things when they think that the end of the line and basketball has been taken away from them and, and they need to sort of set those little milestones and those little goals. So I think we spoke about a couple of weeks ago about how do I set any goals for basketball moving yep. forward and I guess I'll sit down in the next week or so and, and plan my rehab with, with my physio, Ryan Campbell, and, and what those little milestones and those mental hurdles I'm going to have to get through given that basketball isn't going to be in front and centre as it has been for the last few weeks. So looking yep. forward to the challenge though. <laughs> Is this the worst injury you've suffered? Uh, yeah, most definitely. I've just patted my shoulder a couple of times, which that sort of popped back in by itself. Yep. And tore a meniscus back early on and had that operated on when I was in the, my mid-20s. So never, yeah, never broken a bone, um, never snapped mm-hmm. a ligament like this. So it's by far the worst, worst one I've had. What does it mean for your immediate future in terms of your, your work? Obviously, you're a teacher, as we've talked about on the show before. And also your assistant coaching role at, at the Eastern Suns. Um, look, I've spent. So I did it on Thursday night. Um, surgery was on Friday, so I'd actually my my role up there is to as the assistant coach is to really look after the video side of things and and get some people up to speed up there with the video stuff that I do. So I'd actually started videotaping practice and just sat down over the weekend and and clipped all that up for the coaches and for the individuals to see. I think of a 15-minute scrimmage, I had something like a 158 clip that I'd clipped out. So I sort of threw everything over everything with a fine-tooth comb, and that 15 minutes took me about three and a half hours breakdown. So, you know, that kind of where I'm going to be for the next couple of months. Mm. We've already organised for someone to have a videotape practice tonight, get it up on huddle, okay. and I'll, I'll have that tomorrow morning where I can sit down with my, my morning coffee, and away I go, start breaking down the tape and getting that ready. So, yeah, as I always said to Mark, I was only going to be there if I could um, have a Role and make a difference, and I think that by doing this, I can you know still stay in touch with the boys. As soon as I put the clips up, I had four or five of the boys contact me and, and ask questions and those sorts of things. So, if anything, I think maybe they're a bit more used to that now, given social distancing and the isolation that we've yeah, gone through, yeah, and sure. they have to communicate that way. Um, so, yeah, we'll definitely set some things up um, on the journey. And I think, given we're two weeks away from the start of the season, I'll probably miss that first game, and then the boys are away in Kalgoorlie the next week. So, I'd be really keen to be up there by week three um, if not yep. at a practice session if not sitting pretty close to the bench and watching the game being able to feed back to Mark mm. and the boys um, as we move on well that was unexpected news that we copped this week so all the best in the recovery the good news is it's not going to affect your ability to be the co-host here on SBR shoot around so that's, that's the positive out, out of this um, yep now this week's show really looking forward to our two guests that we're going to have on have on Jared Prue. You've coached against him for a lot of a lot of your your coaching career. Absolute Lakeside Lightning legend, three-time championship winner, far and away the all-time leading rebounder in SBL history. What comes to mind when you think think of Jared, and what are you looking forward to trying to learn about him this week? Uh, if you say the word Jared Prue uh, in WA basketball circles, you immediately think of you know, his rebounding prowess. But for me, I've told the stories of his work ethic that I was you know witnessed firsthand, and just his longevity in the league. Someone has looked after himself off the court and on the court. You know, he missed a few games last year with an injury, but you know, hasn't had those big times out. Meticulous in his preparation, and yeah, just really. Well, until then, he had what... never missed a game at all within through injury. Yeah. That was his first there you time. Go. So, you know, just what makes him tick and, you know, how much he enjoys the game and where it sits in his life, you know, just, you know, how he goes about his business and, and what's made him successful. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to that one. Yeah, so am I. And also, 
Bryn Jones. We take a go back a generation to someone who played predominantly in the district competition, which, as we talked about a, a few weeks back, a few weeks back when we had Mike Farrell on the show, we don't want to forget that history. And this is a man who is an MVP of the district competition. He won a championship in that league, and then he was part of the first ever Perth Wildcats team. He was part of the first ever SBL competition. So he's got a hell of a history to share. He's also the brother-in-law to Mark Utley. So we're going to speak to Bryn Jones. And I'm really looking forward to that. Um, what, are you, what are you looking forward to, to chatting to him about, Ben? Again, it's a basketball story that he's got, you know, giving, given his take on what it was like. You know, we, we grew up in the late 80s, early 90s when basketball was super popular. This is a guy mm. that probably the early 70s to mid 70s when if you didn't have a footy in your hand, you were considered a little bit different and people didn't know about but We still played basketball outdoors under lights or those sorts of things. So just seeing his take on the game and how it's evolved. You know, Bryn was, you know, from all accounts, one of the most athletic forwards have ever played the game mm. I, I know there's a picture floating around of him somewhere where he's down the, going down the lane and he's dunking on about five people and it's just you know for a guy an australian to be doing that back in the early, yeah. late 70s early 80s would have been unheard of so the things that he could do on a basketball court would have been quite miraculous and you know his career is star-studded and bannered you know he's, he's represented australia at different levels he's played in the nbl he set a few scoring records across, along the way and he's a great man to talk to he's just a very humble that's the thing that's come across with a lot of these guys or all these guys is just how humble they are of their their journey in basketball and what basketball's given them absolutely so we won't waste too much more time before we get to our our special guest this week on SBL Shootaround. But as always, I've got my question without notice for you this week, Ben. And so it's it's actually four questions this week, but they could easily be a two-word answer for each one. So that doesn't okay. mean it's going to drag on too long. First of all, going back to your playing days, who was your favourite teammate, if you think of your whole playing career? Josh Lee. Um, okay. Josh Lee. Down at Namandra Magic was just a, a great kid when I got there. He was an even better young man when I when I left. Probably not through anything that I did, but Josh Lee was just someone that I when I got in the car to drive down to practice, I was looking forward to hanging out with Josh Lee. Um, just a same taste in music and all those sorts of things, and just a real take on the world, different to everyone, but just the way he communicated and the way he went about his business was just phenomenal. So yeah, Josh Lee, hands down, favorite teammate. Very good. Favourite coach to play for? This is a tricky one. Um, look, for me, my favourite coach, and I have had some good ones, was my college coach, Coach Bill Treglin in uh, Eureka, California. He's the one that sort of put the confidence in me that I could actually be a good player. You know, I remember him having the conversation was that you've come all this way and you're too good a shooter not to shoot the ball. So, you know, when you go over there and you're trying to fit into a team and, and all that, and when a coach puts that, you know, confidence in you. So I think being able to come back from Coach Treggs in 96, uh, 97 and then go straight down to Mandra and play for CJ, CJ. Yeah, I think I was very lucky. And, uh, and, and I guess you can see why I followed CJ to the Redback 2001. That was, you know, to play for a coach that I really, really enjoyed being around. So, yeah, Coach Treggs and then mm. very lucky to play for CJ again. Okay. Yeah. Favourite player to coach? Uh, this might, this, be, this might be like tough. choosing your favourite your favorite child. Yeah, look, I've got a few. Um, yep. you know, I loved coaching Greg Hire. I loved coaching Jordan Wild. Loved coaching Brian Sullivan. But my my all time favourite player to coach is a kid by the name of Sean Norris. Okay, wheelchair basketball player, Perth Wheelcats, uh, Australian player. Just Sean Norris is the the best player I've ever coached. The, the things he can do on a basketball court, able bodied or wheelchair basketball, 
He's the best player I've ever coached. His ability to go out and get 20 rebounds and 20 assists because we needed him to do that or go out and score 50, um, we're just at a next level. And you know, he's got three gold medals hanging around his neck. And I was very fortunate to be riding on his coattails for for many of the for, for three of those. So, and the yeah. you know, the number of championships he's won at the the national level is phenomenal. So, yeah, Sean Norris, hands down. That's a fantastic answer. Last one, your favourite assistant coach that you had alongside you? Uh, it's going to be my dad. Wow. Love trigger okay. to death. Craig Friday just, you know, taught me how to not take things too seriously and relax. Luke's just a workhorse and we went through some some really good times and we had some really tough times in 2014 in, in Incheon, South Korea. But to be able to go to practice with your hero, sit down on the sidelines, win a championship with your dad, something that we never... We did it at a, a junior level, so we won an under-20s wobble championship. But to win, you know, national titles in, in a sport that's pretty tough in, in wheelchair basketball and have my dad sitting alongside me and his input that he would give and his guidance, you know, again, set me on the path to becoming the coach that I wanted to be. So we'd have to say, yeah, my dad. But, you know, Trigger and, and Craig Friday, mm. yeah, love those guys to death as well. No, I really I really love those answers. I'm, I'm especially glad now that I asked those questions. So thanks for that, Ben. But let's keep moving here on SBL Shootaround. And we'll get to our special guest because we've got a jam-packed show still to come. Okay, back here on SBR Shoot Around. And, and Ben, you couldn't do an SBR show without talking to this man. He is He's still playing, and I assume he'll still have a crack at playing again in 2021 once we're under the NBL, NBL1 banner, but... He's already a legendary figure in the league. He's a three-time championship winner. He's far, far, far and away the leading rebounder we've ever seen. He's a, he's a fantastic, fantastic player. He's been a fantastic servant of the Lakeside Lightning, and he still is, and a great ambassador for the game in this state as well. So it's a pleasure for him to give up some time here on SBL Shootaround. Jared, how do we find you this afternoon? Yeah, going well. Just um, down south at the moment, uh, spending a bit of time with the, with the family um, during school holidays. So. Yeah, nice and relaxing at the moment. This is something you wouldn't get the chance to do very often, especially if we were right in the middle of an SBL season. I doubt you'd get this chance. So maybe it's one of the one of the side benefits of the troubles that we've been going through with COVID nineteen. Yeah, well, I think I'm thinking I'm drawing about half of Perth down in the moment, making the most of the relax, light relaxing of the um, the borders and, and all those kind of things. But yeah, normally it's sort of only a day or two here or there to get away, so it's good to be able to get a, a few days consecutive away with the family. So it's been good. Before I hand you over to Ben, what, is, what has this been like for you? Because, you know, four months ago you had gone through your preseason, you'd gone through the blitz and you were ready to play another SBL season. All of a sudden that was ripped away from you. And I know in the, in the big scheme of things with what the pandemic's caused worldwide, I guess a basketball season's not huge, but that's what we're here to talk about. What has this last four months been like for you and, and how, how much has it changed, I guess, what you had expected this year to be and what sort of an impact has it had on you and your family? I think I just said you sort of need to put things into perspective. You know, this, this year, you know, looking forward to another season, hopefully, injured, in, you know, fingers crossed without having getting injured, would have played my fourth game, which was obviously mm. a milestone, which I was working towards. But, you know, at my age and at <laughs> my stage in my career, uh, it's still been quite, I, I guess you've got to take the most out of every every situation and think we as a, as a team, as a club, have you know, still ensured that we've stayed connected, um, you know, still caught up early on with the Zoom, so the Zoom calls, you know, once a week to everyone on board, I guess, just talk about life, checking on how everyone's going and then having sort of small breakout groups again uh, remotely. I think technology, the way that it's been, has really 
I mean, obviously, you still miss, you know, you still miss that interaction and the, the playing games of basketball. But you know, at the end of the day, it is a game of basketball. I think you know the impact that we can still have on each other's lives through this through this time is is really what's the benefit that I've taken. You know, I guess the, the reclad as a silver lining. I guess that's the yeah. line that I've taken out of the last few months. Now, did you ever think you'd be jumping on a on a show co-hosted by Ben Entridge? <laughs> oh. No, I don't see why not. Like I think, yeah, as I said, <laughs> you know, basketball is, is one of those things that the biggest thing for me with basketball is just you know building relationships with different people. Um, and uh, as I said, at the end of the day, it's a game of basketball is, is a game of basketball. But you know, I think the relationships you build with people is, is far bigger than that. And it, to me, you know, the, the model likes us more than a game. And, and to me, that's really the main thing is um, those relationships you build with with, with the people that in in the basketball community. Mm. No, I appreciate you um, giving up your time. Like you said, away with your family, Jared. I, uh, I understand that um, you know time with the family is precious throughout the season. We've all been a little bit more fortunate. But for me, my thing is, you know, I'm really interested in the the stories that guys have, you know, sort of have driven them to to this time in the SBL. And 384 games of SBL is nothing to be sort of sneezed at. It's a huge accomplishment. And and I guess what makes it even more uh, amazing is the fact that you've spent. 384 games in the trenches. It's not been on the perimeter. It's been down low, averaging 18 rebounds a game. I mean, what's the motivation for that? Where's the motivation come for that that love just going and getting the rebound? Where where'd that come from? Um, I think for me, like I talk to a lot of people, and it sounds probably crazy, but I'm not a huge my my game style sort of amplifies that. Is that I'm not I'm not a basketball to me isn't be on end all. I just enjoy the, the competitiveness of it. Just enjoy again. You know, being part of the team and, and helping, you know, win. I, I I love winning, and to me, and also for me, I'm I'm not a great watcher of the game in terms of like sitting down and watching the game going on. So for my thing was, if I wanted to stay on the court and actually play, I had to I had to contribute something, and I wasn't going to be scoring 30 points a game. So for me, it was how was I going to make the team win, and how was I going to going to contribute to that? And um, it just so happened that yeah, that 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 element of it, that the rebounding was something that yeah, I've been somewhat successful at. So that sort of been my focus. Yeah, well, been very, 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 very good at it. And, you know, my, I, I told a story the other week where I used to drive to work and I'd, I'd look over to the left-hand side of the freeway and I'd see you running up and down the side of the freeway. Is that, <laughs> is that true? I asked boys at Lakes, I said, how far does he run? And they said to me that you ran a marathon every week or something like that. Is that your preparation? I look at it as very similar to Damien Maddox. Longevity comes from the condition you've kept your body in. Is that story true or were they sort of... It, no, I mean, it gets depending on which, which time of the year, you know, in terms of how much I'd run, but sometimes the, uh, you know, probably run up to maybe 70, 60, 70 Ks a week um, and then try, obviously try to go to the gym as well. Um, I have run a couple of years when I didn't play. I have run a, I have run a few marathons. Um, okay. And I think for me, that's because, again, like different, I guess different people do different things to, I guess, get game ready. You know, some some people, obviously, if their game style is, or they, you know, is to you know, shoot the ball, then they'll spend hours in the gym getting up shots. <laughs> some of my coaches over the years probably wish that I had spent more time doing that. <laughs> um, but for me, the, the way that I knew how to get prepared for a game was to stay fit, you know, try and look after my body in terms of exercise and what I ate and what I drink or didn't drink. Um, and that sort of, again, I think, yeah, definitely, I think helped with the ability to still be kind of playing at, at 38 years old. And I've just, I do have the fortunate, Chris does great research and I've got your stats here and in the 384 game, made five threes. Do you remember all of them? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think two of them were actually banked as well from memory. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, but then one, uh, my son, he's eight now, but a couple of years ago, like he didn't quite, I don't think he quite correlates. Like, rebounds are not exciting. And we played Willerton and it was about, I don't know, it was 20 seconds left or 30 seconds. I shot it and I somehow went in 
and he said to me after the game, he goes, Daddy, you're, you're getting much better. You you know, you're, you're shooting three-pointers now. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks for that. Excellent. So, <laughs> I think they've all, all of them have been in the last two minutes of a game as well. So, Doesn't it's, matter. Fair to say, it's fair to say I haven't shot any when the game's been on the line. <laughs> um, no. no, very good. Um, and look, we're sort of talking about the history of the league and, and going through all those those great teams. And you're a part of that really good lakeside run in those sort of mid-2000s. And then where you're at now, so I'm sort of thinking of, we're talking about two very, very good coaches that you've had. Not to take it any way from Sam, but you, you know Andy and his style of coach, and then now the death you're having with Dave Daniels. Is there... You know, what's the difference and what's the similarities and what do you, what do you enjoy and you know, where, you know, how would you compare those two as a, as a coaching staff? Well, I think they're both, um, obviously as you said, you know, they're both tremendous coaches that have you know, I guess different attributes as to how they, how they approach things. And I think, um, to be honest, I'm probably fortunate that I've seen many people have to have them at different stages in my career. And I think to start with, with Andy, yeah, fortunate that when I was a bit young, I probably needed a bit. Had I put it probably a bit stronger encouragement to maybe uh, do do the right thing, but that he was there for me at that stage in my in my career, and now here with Dave, it's a different relationship. And it, I don't I don't like to make comparisons between different coaches, but all I can say is that they've both been exceptionally good to me personally on the court and off the court, um, and also think they've been great um, great for the club as well in terms of what they've yep. brought. Um, again, from a basketball perspective, and what they've done to develop people off the court as well, which again, from a lake for, for Lakeside, it's really a, it's as much about how we how we develop men and women off the court as we do about winning championships. So, most definitely. And uh, along the journey, who who would you say has been the, the the toughest opponent for you to go against? We we sort of spoke to a few guards along the way, but kind of we forget those guys that are doing all the dirty work and the hard work. Who would be the guy that you've had to go up against that you've sort of felt, or if there's a couple that you felt were really like, yeah, those tough ones to go against? I think there's probably two, two different elements. Firstly, I'd say who would I say toughest at their peak to to stop scoring or you know to kind of yeah to prevent them from from dominating game. And probably Damian uh, well Damian Maddox and Adrian Masovic probably two guys who okay again at the top of their game. You know, Masovic his his ability to to shoot that shoot the three ball and get to the basket like I found him quite challenging. Obviously, Damo's absolute legend of the game and what he's done. In terms of in terms of on the flip side of who I've the physicality side and the the competitiveness, uh, probably Matt Wannenberg. We've always had a lot of battles over the years. You know, he's absolute again, just legend of the game. And as much as I, as much as hard as it was to, to not be able to make it to the last game last year, I really um, enjoyed seeing him being able to enjoy that success. And apologies, I know probably not. No, mate, that's fair enough. To, but you know, for him, just for everything he's done in particular, and Aaron Ralph as well. But you know, going up against uh, Matt. You know, year in, year out, being able to see him achieve success was, you know, I thought it was, yeah, it was, it was good to see. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned, Matt, because over the last couple of years, as you know, I've spoken to both you guys about each other and the respect that you have for each other. And, and to me, you just go hand in hand. You're both, for the last 15 years, you've been probably the two great warriors of the league. So I'm glad you mentioned, Matt. Um, going back to one of the championships you won in 2006, how motivated were you? because of what happened in 2005, obviously. Nothing against Willison, but you probably, in hindsight, regret making that move in 2005, and it didn't quite work out, and then you had to watch your team win the, win the, the championship at Lakeside. How motivated were you when you came back in 2006 to, to be part of that yourself? I want to use the word regret there. I think it sounds maybe a bit corny. I don't believe in regret, because I think no, sure. as you, 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 you go through moments, and as long as you learn from them, then think, you know, and, and it helps you, and it grows you as a person, then, 
then then that's all for the better. To be honest. but obviously, yeah. So I look back at that, and, and uh, that that grand final in two thousand five was it was a sort of a very bittersweet moment for me. Mm. Seeing you know the club you know win championships, seeing people that I was close to achieve that success was great to see. Obviously, um, being the I ended up. When I came back, Andy said, you're not having any part to play in the SBL program. And then halfway through the year, I was I ended up being helping out with, with the water bottles and, and sitting mm. there on the sideline from 2004 winning Lakeside's MVP to 2005, sitting there as the manager, watching them win a championship. It was obviously tough. Um, yeah. But, you know, you again, you and then come out in 2006, I think we lost our first four games and sent an import home and, and then, yeah, put, progressing through the season. So we hit heavy underdogs in every round of the finals. I think we were down 1-0 to Jelton and they're playing against the Stack Willington team in the semis and then mm. that Kalgoorlie, that Kalgoorlie grand final, I don't think really anyone had backed us to win and it was a, Andy, the game plan we had in place was we executed it well. He, he set it up, we executed it well, and yeah, it was a huge, yeah, it was just a, one of those moments you kind of look back on with great fondness. So. You talked before about how, I guess, the fact that you rebound like you do is because you wanted to find a way where you could contribute while not being a natural scorer. I've, I've talked to you about this a little bit over the last couple of years, probably when we've been catching up over coffee, so it hasn't been anything on the record, but I wanted to get your thoughts on how proud are you of the fact that if I was going to play at the top level I would want people to think that I make my team better and my teammates better and to me you're the ultimate player at doing that because the fact that you get the rebounds you do especially the offensive rebounds you're making your team better by getting those extra shots and allowing the 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 shooters on the team or the scorers on the team to do what they do and score and they couldn't score the amount of points that, that they do without you getting those rebounds and and it's just the leadership on top of that that you provide, the experience that you've got, and everything that you do. And I just think you're the, you'd be the ultimate teammate to have. I mean, you don't need to agree with that, but how much? <laughs> but, but how proud are you of the fact that what you do ultimately makes makes your teams better? Oh, well, I appreciate those comments, but I yeah, I haven't really. It's something that's never really been in my head. You know, I've never wanted to have those comments thrown at me. It's to mm. me as again, it's just been about wanting to. To be honest, just be part of it, you know. Even this year, and, and coming, even coming back, you know, a couple of years ago when Dave said, "Hey, listen, do you want to play again?" Initially, I thought he just wanted me to, you know, to coach or something. It, it's it has been about. Well, the main thing's been about. I've always said, if I'm going to play, firstly, I've got to make the team better. Secondly, I don't want to hold anyone back progressing and from being and from them, you know, achieving all they can achieve. And the other thing as well, does it work for me from a family perspective? You know, how, does it mm-hmm. take away from family time, or does it does it help there? So. Appreciated the comments. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much I can really comment on it, but mm. but that's sort of been the main thing for me. Is my yeah, my two goals have always been: do I make the team better, and am I holding people back yep. from being the best they can be? And me being around, you know, like in terms of other other sort of big guys, young big guys who maybe aren't going to get opportunities because I'm playing. Now, the thing that yeah. I've noticed, the, this, the time I spent with you the last couple of years, I always respected you as a player, but getting to know you a little bit. Off the court, I've, my respect for you has grown even even more, and can't help but notice how much you light up when you talk about your family and you know your wife Emma and your two kids. And how big, how much has that changed your life over the last, I guess, ten ten years or whatever it is since you've now become a, a father and a, and a husband? Yeah, so um, I think for me, one of my boss or one of my bosses said to me before, you've you've got you've got a few clients, you know, you've got a few staff members, but you've only got you've only got one family. I think it's important to put that, you know, put them as priorities number one. My wife sacrificed a lot for me to be able to play and, you know, the kids when I go off to training and stuff, they obviously you know, they're, they're not very happy. So it's balancing it out, you know, knowing what's best for the family and not and, and trying to put them first as much as 
um, as much as you can because, again, at the, at the end of the day, you've only got one family and you've got to make sure you get it right, really. Yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff. And, I mean, I was just saying to Chris before, this is probably the first time we've had a conversation away from a basketball court and hearing you talk about your family and, and where your priorities are, it's interesting that you you had Damien Maddox up there in, in one of your toughest guys to guard because having spent a lot of time around Damo, I see a lot of similarities in your attitude and the way that you, you go about your business. You're successful as basketballers, but as I always say, you're, you're even better men and that's something that as a coach, you know, your coaches would be very proud of the man you've become and the father and, and the husband, I guess, that you've become as well along the way and that's when we're in this little state league that we're in, we're not making huge dollars out of basketball. It's that impact that we can have off the court that is probably the most important thing. And yeah, I think, you know, guys like yourself and Damo uh, are two great examples of, you know, basketball can lead you in many, many paths, but becoming, you know, that type of man off the court is, is what it's all about. So, yeah, I just, you know, I've spoken to Damo a few times, and, you know, obviously battled against him, and, you know, I hold him in very high regard again. You know, for me, that some of the basketball hasn't. To be honest, hasn't been a priority really, and I've always seen it as something I've done. Maybe again, using the word hobby is a bit of, again, maybe a bit flippant, but I've used it as an opportunity to again build relationships and the like, and again hold Damo on the highest highest regard, both on the court as a competitor, but off the court as a person. And again, seeing those attributes, it really stands out to me as well. It's remarkable that, given the way you play and how physical you play, that you've gone through your career pretty much without too many too many injuries. But then we had the start of last year where you had your hamstring and the first soft tissue injury of your career really. And then you had your problem yeah. with your with your heart as well. That was a that was a <laughs> tricky start to the year, but by the second half of the season you were you were, you know, back back to back to the normal Jared Pro. Yeah, well, maybe I was um, being a bit cheeky because I was, you know, saying everyone never really had an injury and then all of a sudden I got three because <laughs> yeah. I had my knee taken out. Then yep. taken out in uh, preseason, and I, I don't think I was really fully fit and ready to go. But it was my 350th game for Lakeside yep. at the start of last year. Obviously, taking the nine away that I played at, at Willardson, and and I probably wasn't quite ready. But it was sort of this big build up, and I was like, okay, I'll you know I'll, I'll get through it. And a couple of games in, yeah, a few minutes into the game against Wanneroo, I think my my hamstring or my That's legs right. around yeah. that knee was pretty tight, and it sort of just went to reach for ball, and and sort of went and was out for a few weeks of that. And then first game back, yeah, I'd sort of I don't know if I'd had maybe too many coffees or something leading up to mm. the game, trying to trying to sort of get get ready to go. And halfway through the game, sort of felt my heart was quite, wasn't quite right. And I assumed it was because I hadn't played in a few weeks and I was a bit unfit. Um, and then, yeah, had basically, long story short, I got my heart shot back into place, but they said yeah. no long-term issues, nothing like that. I was a bit, a bit worried. Next week, we're in Kalgoorlie. My wife was like, I don't really know if I want you to go to Kalgoorlie <laughs> to play. But, but managed to, yeah, still went up there, and from there, yeah, I've had no, yeah, so it sounded worse at the time, but yeah, the cardiologist said no, no long-term issues or it's, you know, it's not going to kill you, but it, it may happen again. But then since then, it was weird, yeah, sort of the second half of the year, I was able to sort of get through unscathed, which was, uh, was very, uh, very fortunate. Yeah, as I said, but very fortunate over the years to be, yeah, have very few injuries that have impacted not my career, which, yeah, very lucky. I, I guess for someone like you, there's probably not a huge amount of benefits to play in this upcoming West Coast Classic, where you, I guess you're not trying to prove anything. You're not trying to forge your way anywhere, and you're also not getting any closer to 500 games by by playing in it. And you might still suit up for a game or two just because of the competitive beast that you are. Uh-huh. But but how much are you are you are you still motivated enough to already look ahead to 2021 and want to be part of what you're building at Lakeside and hopefully be playing under that NBL one banner for the first time? 
I've always always been sort of winning one season at a time, sure. um, and just see again, see what's best for family, see what's best for me, see what's best for the club. And again, I've you know in terms of when I said before about holding people back, I, I saw this season and said, well, there's you know there's young guys down there, particularly the guys like Josh Davey, who I think really deserve a, mm. deserve a go. You know the way he performed and played when I was out injured last year, I think was well in my view phenomenal. I uh, you know to see him hopefully get an opportunity to shine this year. Uh, will be good and I think for me again it'll be you know come September October just weighing up what's what's the best for again for the family what's best for the club and, and what's best best for me for next year so I haven't made any commitments haven't made any dis- decisions at this this stage you know Dave's been very understanding that and he understands for me and, and where my priorities are at and we'll make that decision where it comes obviously I'd love to be around and love love to play and love to get that 400 games but just have to wipe whether that best uh, for everyone in the, in the situation because again whether I play three and eighty four games or four and ten games at the end of the day I don't think that's going really going to make much of a difference mm. to yeah sure to, to my life or all those yeah. kind of things but it's yes weighing those decisions up when the time comes uh, you haven't made any decisions at this stage as yet. What about your business at BDO? How's that been affected over the last four months by COVID nineteen? Has it has that it's, had a had a big impact? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny, funny one's probably not the right, right phrase, but it, it's been, you know, we always talk about, you know, digital transformation and how we're going to move into keep with the times and stuff. And I think this has really forced us to, you know, it's really forced our hand to how we're going to, you know, work with the remote working and virtual working. We should see if this had happened 20 years ago, how that would have looked, mm, yeah. um, you know, without this technology. But, you know, I, you know, worked from home for three months and yeah, there were challenges of it. But it, as I said before, you know, I was in every situation say, well, what silver linings does this cloud have and be able to spend more time with the kids and, and with the mm-hmm. family and just be close to them, you know, pick them up from school. Like my daughter and I bake some pretty random things over those few months. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, work itself has obviously there's been some impact. Unfortunately, my area that I'm in is fairly it's not as impacted because it's more compliance based and more, I'm in audit. So companies need to get audited. But yeah, as a firm, we've, We've tried to manage that as best as best we can. But again, I think it has brought forward that remote working, virtual working situation, which hopefully helps with people's, you know, work-life balance and, and mental health and those kind of things, which again, these days, this day and age is, is very important. Before we let before we let Jared go and play, I think it's mini golf that you're heading towards. Jared, I believe you know, one so. last question, I believe question so. Ben? Uh, from me, oh look, no, again, I, I, um, or I hope, hopefully, that next year we see Jared run around in purple and white because I think it would be a, uh, a very big loss for the league to, to lose someone in this situation, given that we didn't really get a chance this year. But yeah, I think, yeah, whatever decision you make, Jared, I know you're going to be successful at it, and yeah, to hear that you're very happy with with things how they've gone so far is great. It would. Definitely love to see out there running around again next year. I think it'd be a, uh, a big loss for the league as we were to lose a few of those guys at the end of their career given the, the 2020 that we've had, especially with the, the new things that are just around the corner for us. So, yeah, that's just um, just me being a little bit selfish, I guess. <laughs> oh, I appreciate, appreciate that. Thank you. One last one, Jared. We've, st- we've started up this tournament where we're looking at crowning the best ever SBL championship winning team. So we've had all 32 teams put in, into the mix and... We've got down to the to the next round now, and we've still got three Lakeside teams in the final final sixteen. The two thousand and five one, which you weren't part of, but then two thousand and six, yeah, that was no good. And two thousand and nine. Which which of those? Which of the two that you did play in, or you can even pick the two thousand and five one if you like. Which of those three do you think deserve to go the furthest, if not win the whole thing? Oh, it's very it's very hard. It's very hard to um, pick between championship teams because I think mm. every team has its own. For, for me, what I love about the 2006 team was again this was that just the huge underdog the element that that we had. You know, like no one really 
expected us to probably get past the quarterfinals. I remember finishing fifth, mm. then one one game down to to Jelt um, at home. We lost at home, had to win two games up in Jelt. Oh my God. Yeah, then we played. Willerton, who were the top-ranked team, and then again managed to get through that, and then to to beat Kalgoorlie, who you know, I mean, there's no sports bad odds in those days, but I hmm. I don't know. I reckon I'd have been paying. I reckon about a dollar twenty to win the game. I'm not sure, but well, they went so on to I, win I, the I, next two after that. Well, it's there. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk about 2007 because that no, was the game. Sorry. That maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should have won and didn't. But, yep. So I'd, I'd probably say the 2016, not necessarily from a from a talent level or or whatever, but just from that just that mental toughness and that ability mm. to push through and, and and go against the odds. Very good. We could keep talking to you all day, but your family's calling you, Jared. I know <laughs> it's been, it's been a pleasure to get you on the line. I'm sure everyone's enjoyed you coming on SBL Shoot Around. As I said, you couldn't have an SBL show without talking to to Jared Pru. So we really appreciate you joining us. I appreciate the time. Thanks a lot for that. And uh, Thanks, yeah, all Jared. The for the all the best for the for the podcast, and hopefully the WCC um, is a great success. Okay, next up here on SBL Shoot Around, another real treat for us, Ben. We're getting we're getting treats after treats on this show, and and this one is a. An especially special one. He's a an inaugural Perth Wildcats NBL player. He's a championship winner at the East Perth Eagles. He played in the SBL at, at the Wanneroo Wolves, the, the Swan City Mustangs, the Geraldton Buccaneers. He's played for Australia at, at a couple of different levels. He's been involved in basketball through coaching for a long time. And he's done a lot of things outside of basketball, which are quite remarkable as well. So this will be plenty of fun to, to have a chat with this man, Bryn Jones. Thanks very much for joining us. Nice to be on board. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining us. When I mentioned all those things that you achieved in your career, playing playing in the NBL as part of the first ever Perth Wildcats teams for those three years, everything you did, I guess, in WA basketball before we became the SBL, then you were involved in the SBL in its early years and everything you've done as a coach since. What what goes through your mind? Oh, look, really just being involved in the, in, a, in the teams over the years and having, you know, being lucky enough to play alongside some great blokes and, you know, play against some really competitive people and just enjoy the game and watching it, you know, watching it transition into what it is these days has just been pretty incredible. I feel, I feel very lucky to be have been part of it. Yeah. What about being a brother-in-law to Mark Utley? How's that treating you? Well, that, that's a bit, bit of a test, got a bit, got to say. <laughs> no, not really. No, it's, it's Mark's a good bloke. I've, I've known him for a long, long time. Uh, used to used to coach him up in Geraldton for a while, and yeah, now lucky enough to be sort of related to him. <laughs> for me, Bryn, I I've heard the legendary stories of the district competition being played out there at Perry Lakes and while the games are going on you could smell the sausages cooking for you know the barbecue afterwards and all that sort of stuff in those early days of the district league which you know you're a former MVP and a championship winner in like what were those days like because basketball wasn't probably everyone's first choice as a sport being so Aussie rules dominated was what was that like in those those early times yeah, it was definitely a, a minority sport and a new sport, and um, you know a lot of people had to make a choice between playing the typical footy um, or making a shift to basketball. I had to do that, but but the days before SBL, you know, the early days, especially when it was a district basketball competition, it was it was pretty social. You know, we all played at the same venue, Perry Lakes, those days. Um, we all used to sort of catch up, 
on the same night because it was on a Friday night, and you know we'd, there'd be a lot of lot of banter and you know mateship before the games. And, and when the ball was tossed up, it was pretty hard, especially for young kids. And there were a lot of young kids played in the league in those days. And one of the good parts was after the games were finished, it was pretty social, and we'd, we'd usually catch up somewhere for a couple of beers and a, a few laughs. And often it was at someone's house, and it really didn't matter which club it was. <laughs> you, you found yourself in all sorts of weird places and catching up with, with great people to talk about the games and yeah, just generally enjoy basketball the way the way it was in those days. And sort of carrying on from that, like, is that sort of when the, I think it was the Narragin Carnival and the Geraldton Carnival and all those sort of regional carnivals used to still be around? Yeah, the country carnivals, as they were termed in those days, were huge. Uh, they were an opportunity to sort of jump in the car with a few mates and take off and throw a team together and play in these basketball tournaments where you'd often play games outdoors and usually in spring and summer, so it was usually pretty hot. And um, Yeah, and once again, a big social atmosphere afterwards. I even remember, I mean, probably showing my age a bit here, but I remember um, playing what was te- then termed a country basketball carnival in Quinana and playing wow. against the team, the team that any dingo played with, which which were, were called the Wildcats in those days. Okay. Wow. And yeah. sort of from those early days then, the, the journey into, I guess, the, the formative Wildcat team, what was that like? Uh, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, the, the National Basketball League started three years before the Wildcats joined, so it's pretty exciting sort of watching from a distance, you know, the powerhouse clubs, mainly from Victoria, um, sort of making their mark, and everyone talked about, well, wouldn't it be great to play in the NBL? And it was pretty exciting when, when people started talking about it, but it was only a notion of it at first, and then, um, you know, I took off to play in Melbourne in the Siebel for a, okay. a club called Diamond Valley for one season, and... Then when the NBL actually sort of genuinely reached out and, and included the Wildcats, I was quick to quick to jump back in the car and race back over Nullarbor and become one of the original players. Outstanding. You, you, you really held, held your own too in those three years that you did play, averaging more than 10 points a game in the NBL. That's nothing to be sneezed at. No, I've, I've, I've got one record that no one will ever beat that a few people don't know about. Mm-hmm. I managed to score more points in a half than anybody else in the history of the first Wildcat without a three-point line. There we go. How many did you yeah, score? Uh, and do you remember who, who, who was it against? It was against Canberra Cannons uh, in the very first year when it was our very yeah. first win for the first Wildcat. Wow. Um, Cannons were a very strong team and made the playoffs the year before and I don't think we were expected to win because we'd already been thrashed by Geelong and Frankston and uh, Bankstown, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, we managed to knock them over by about 16 points and I managed to score 28 in the second half. There you go. Yeah, not bad. What was, your, what was your game? What Where where'd they all come from? What was the... What was the what was the what was the move that got you the points? Uh, pretty much mid-range jump shots, or what we'd call mid-range these days. I thought it was a long way out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a fair bit around the basket, I guess. Yeah, uh, a bit of, bit of post play, a few rebounds, but you know, a bit of a mix really, but definitely not long range compared to these days. Yeah, and then sort of you know that that journey into the SBL, the, the intriguing one for me is that those Mustangs, early Mustangs teams. I get well, not early, but sort of late for them. You know, that when they were at sort of the height of their powers, what was it like being on on a team that had the you know the sort of powerhouse imports and and the Ellis brothers running around and all majors on the sidelines. Like what was out there at the Midland Aquatic Centre? What well, you know, basketball sort of hitting its strides. And what was that like? Yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, basketball was becoming really popular. 
it was attracting a, a bit of attention from people wanting to watch the game, you know, uh, attracting some really high-quality international players. And, um, yeah, the, the days when we, when I suited up with the um, Bond City Mustangs, uh, we, we had an absolutely, absolutely incredible team. Um, you know, uh, two naturalised Americans who were fantastic, two strong Americans, and a couple of handy local players, coached by Norm Majors. And I found myself playing in the six-man role, which was the first time I had to do that. So I guess the, the team was so strong. Are there any stories from that sort of era that you, you can share with us? Oh, there's lots I can't share. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, everybody talks about one particular game where we, we were having a highly competitive game, let's call it, against uh, East Perth. And um, uh, um, a couple of my teammates, uh, Roland Brooks, who everybody's probably heard of, and, and James Jackson, um, both amazing players and great teammates. And not one, not either of them were one stuck down from uh, confrontation. And they had a bit of a bit of a fight, I guess, on the court with experts important of the day, um, John Culberson, big man, but a really nice fella. And I think they got rubbed out and the game was called off and all sorts of interesting things happened after that. So, yeah, that that game sort of sticks to mind. <laughs> yeah. I think I was actually at that game. I might have been a 17, 18-year-old sitting in the crowd and it was kind of weird, sort of. Big. I think we got to half-time and the next thing, forget who it was, the referee just came out. It might have been Tommy Mills, I think, just came out and said, oh, look, it's all over, we're done. And um, <laughs> everyone sort of sat there going, well, what are we going to do for the next hour or so? So it's one of those weird uh, weird situations, I think. Yeah, and a couple of us found something to do after that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably you hit the bar, yeah. Well, yeah, after the police were called and something else, but that's okay. okay. Right. Well, speaking of the police, Brent, you had a long career in law enforcement as well, you know, 20 years, I think, as a forensic investigator. And after that, you've done a lot of work sort of with I guess law enforcement projects all, all around the world. Was it was it strange when you saw something like that happen, where you're just focused on your basketball, but I guess you can't help being a policeman at the same time either. Yeah, it was actually an interesting balance at times. Yeah, so mm. I, I, I mean, my second year with the Wildcats, for example, was while I was going through the the Devlin Police Academy, 1983, and um, sort of rocking rocking up to the academy after three months of pre-season training, already in pretty good shape, sort of helped me a bit, but try, trying to make flights and things with the team and, you know, because the police academy was pretty demanding and sort of trying to make flights was tough. They used to make me sort of do the whole thing through the Friday night and then jump on a midnight flight, catch wow. up with the rest of the team and, and sometimes play three games in those days on a weekend um, after very little sleep. So that, that, that was interesting. And then jump back on a plane and go back home and straight back into the academy on on, um, on the Monday morning. So that was that was fun. And, yeah, it's trying to balancing the whole career with making games and training and everything else over the years was pretty interesting. Yeah, managed to get by. Yeah. Then you moved into coaching as well. As you said, you spent time up in Geraldton coaching. I guess more recently you've been back in, in Mandra doing some coaching as well. And you even found yourself as a, as a head coach probably unexpectedly there for, for a little while. Um, how do you look? How do you reflect on your twenty? I guess twenty plus years as a coach. Yeah, coaching coaching is different. Frustrating when you still think you should be out there playing, and, <laughs> and the mind's mind's still willing, but the body's not able. But um, yep. 
No, I mean, Mark would know all about this. I mean, if you've got basketball in your in your veins, there's nothing better than mixing with the team in the in the club room. You know, after a game and you've had a win, there's, there's no better feeling. I mean, coaching for me sort of fell my way as a result of being transferred to Geraldton for work. So I was up there with the police and um, played a few games for the Buccaneers initially, and then um, was asked to sort of come on as an assistant coach with uh, Wayne Hairs. And um, we even had uh, a bit of success. We made two grand finals up there during my time. Lost them both, unfortunately. <laughs> but I found myself back on the court when we ran out of players one one season with, and ended up playing another handful of games at the age of 40 or something. So. Yeah, you did. I think it was 1998. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a bit of fun. So it was nice, nice to be back on the court and, and remembering <laughs> what it was like to be able to run. <laughs> <laughs> You also played for Australia as well. Back in 1977, as part of a under-20s tour, you went to Japan and Korea, and you also, as part of a boomer squad, you played against some European clubs in 1980. What are your memories of those? Oh, yeah, I think I just found myself in the right place at the right time to make the, the under-20s team in 77. Um, hmm. you know, we, had a, we had a really strong team and you know, with Mike Ellis and um, Craig Platworthy, Brad Chechens, Brad Kidner, myself, and a really strong bench. We caused a couple of upsets and played really strong. And, yeah, I think Craig and I led the rebounding for the tournament. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it all, they, they started calling out names and I had to march out there with, with all these other guys, Larry Fenstock and Phil Smythe and Danny Morso. And um, I said to Mike, what's this all about? And he said, you've made an Australian team. I said, what does that mean? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I wasn't even sure what was going on. But, um, yeah, I found myself touring Japan and Korea um, yeah. a few months later. So it was pretty exciting. And getting a bit of a look in with other clubs was, was pretty exciting. It was always tough for a, a West Australian to sort of crack any seniors team in those days. And Mike chased his dream by moving to Chelsea in the Seabull. And I, I guess I went to Diamond Valley for a similar reason and try and get a look in. But, uh, yeah, like I said, the Wildcats cranked up. There was, there was no question about where I was heading. Yeah, I remember my dad talking about it in his in his journey. This there was seemed to be a very, um, as it probably still is in the football, a very East Coast centric vibe about those teams, and the West Australians were sort of yeah left left out unless they were doing something pretty special, which obviously you were. And any time you get to wear the the green and gold, I would imagine it would have been a, a pretty huge honour. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. Actually, I'm sitting here in my office now because. I do work occasionally, and, and <laughs> I'm looking at my jersey up on the wall in a frame. So yeah, pretty proud. But, That's wonderful. Yeah, it was. It was tough in those days. I remember having a really tough game against Melbourne Tigers back in, in Melbourne in those days, and I had a pretty handy game. And then um, Lindsay goes came and spoke to me after the game, and he asked me what state I was from, and I said I was from Western Australia, and he was expecting me to say I was from USA or something. Oh wow! Uh, he said, "Really? He said, really? You Australian?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm from from Perth, mate." <laughs> <laughs> so, so that that shows you sort of the exposure that West Australia used to get in the national scene in those days. Yeah, no, most definitely. So if we sort of go back to those Swan City Mustangs teams and where we're running the, this NCAA style tournament, you know, on that ninety ninety one team, you know, we're sort of looking at them and I, I rate them really, really highly just simply because of the, the depth that, that was there. How good do you think that team would be nowadays and, and how far do you think it could go against the other other championship teams? Yeah, I mean it's always it's always a tough argument to compare teams from different eras. Yeah. 
the, I mean, the Mustangs team of those days, I mean, firstly, Norm Majors and knew his stuff. The, the team was really well coached, you know, and, you know, some some of the philosophies of the way we approached the game, it, it was well ahead of his time, with, you know, compared to some of the stuff that's going on these days. The team the team was so strong and so deep, and, you know, I've mentioned some of the individuals before, and, you know, you got a guy like Roland Brooks, who's like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, massively athletic, you know, scored 53 points in an NBL game. Yeah, uh, you know, for the Perth Wildcats, um, you know James Jackson, who's like six four, six four point guard, and you know, massively built and massive range and great handling the ball and finding other players. You know, that's what the guys, if 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 they're around today, right, they could compete with anyone. But you know, you know, Mike Elliott, our six eight. Uh, American who won the rebounding stats that year, and yeah. Mark McCathrion who, who was a scoring machine and could could also shut people down. So you start throwing a bunch of those people together on the same team. Yeah. You know, as long as you can achieve the right chemistry, that sort of team could compete anywhere. Yeah, no, I, I, as I say, I remember driving out and watching that team simply because of the you know the quality of guys that they had out there, and it was almost like watching a, an NBL team compete at um, at an SBL level. Especially with you know, Roland and James who come down sort of from that level and, and yourself and, and then yeah, Mike McCatherine and uh, Mike Elliott. I mean Mike Elliott was just uh, a, a workhorse, almost a pretty typical import that you'd want nowadays and yeah, it was just a, a really, really fun team to watch play. I, I do remember uh, a lot of times driving out to Midland and you, know, you tell mum and dad you're driving out to Midland for a basketball game and they were always you know, make sure you lock the car and all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> um, you know, once you once you got there it was yeah, it was just, you know, you're in awe watching that team play. Yeah, and you know, even some of our practice sessions, the practice sessions that year were tougher than some of the games I'd played in previous years. Mm. Yeah, it would have been that that first five versus the second five would have been would have been worth the price of admission on their own. Yeah, and you know, no one took a backward step either. It was pretty competitive within that team. So everybody wanted the time on the court, and the only way you were going to get that is by performing. So it was, it was pretty competitive at training. You've also seen your son and daughter both come through and play. In the SBL, um, what was that experience like? Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, um, the, you know, um, Ben was on the team I was actually coaching in the Mandra Magic. I was, mm-hmm. So I was the assistant coach, and Ben was playing. And um, you know, I also coached the the D League team, the development league team. So I got to uh, see him play a lot and saw his development over the years through juniors ranks. And so that was fantastic. And my daughter Kate is now in Melbourne in lockdown. Um, she was fantastic coming through the junior ranks, and there was nothing better. You know, I love I love nothing better than to watch watch them both play on, on the weekends and you know in the, in the wobble and then state teams and you know took Kate to the USA for um, scholarships and so to see seeing your own kids sort of develop from just picking up a basketball because dad plays uh, to to making a, a mark on the sport themselves is, is, is fantastic. Do you still have any involvement officially in basketball at the moment? Just coach, coaching my wife's kids. We've got three young boys yep. um, who play basketball down in, in the Mandarin domestic comp when, when they behave themselves. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and Mark knows all about that. And, uh, oh, yeah, I get involved coaching them and it's a bit of fun. So that's, that's about my limit right now. I'm, a, I'm an avid follower of, of basketball. I go to every Wildcats home game that I can make and catch up with my old teammates and have a couple of beers. So I really enjoy that side of it as well. Very good. Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about what we're trying to do on a show like this uh, is just catch up with people that have got great stories to share from, from basketball in WA like yourself who, I guess, unless we speak to you and give you this platform, you might not be able to share your story. So it's been fantastic to, to reflect on 
on your journey with you. And don't worry, your memory was fine. You you had some great stories to share. And it was fantastic for me to, to learn a lot more about you. And I'm sure for Ben, I know how excited he was to speak to somebody from the, those Swan City Mustangs teams. And I'm sure he got everything that he hoped for. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, as I said, I've caught up with Mark a little bit over the last last few weeks about about this one, and and he was very quick to let me know that you'd have some great insight into those those teams, and also, you know, that district competition, which is something for me that I know Michael Farrell has mentioned it in the past that we we kind of have left that behind, and I, I think we need to bring that that history and and those memories with us, and we're entering a new era with the SBL, and I sort of feel like we've just got it's not just the last 30, 30 odd years, is there's a whole competition before that that we need to stay in touch with and and remember those those ones because that's what's made us what we are today. Yeah, thanks, Mark, and thanks, Ben. You know, it is basketball is a great story. The history is fantastic and yeah, I hope people have enjoyed listening a little bit to what I've been talking about. Yeah, I'm sure they have. Thanks very much for joining us, Brent. My pleasure. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around and, and very happy to be joined once again for our look at the NCAA tournament to crown the ultimate SBL championship team by Mark Utley. Before we get into the tournament, Mark, now very close to action in the in the West Coast Classic. How are you? How are your Calamander Eastern Suns shaping up? Yeah, we're looking pretty good. We're going to have a warm up this Saturday, uh, playing a team of legends. Okay. So if anyone wants yeah, to come down that. on Saturday night at six o'clock, uh, and I saw Corey Eastley's part of the legends team. Yeah, yeah, we've decided to give him uh, give Corey because he's had the two stints at the Suns and uh, yep. also gives them that extra sort of tall guy that'll be there. Mm-hmm. But if Joel Quistrell and, and Ben Smith and the other legends, there's a lot of guys that are still really fit. We think yeah. it's going to be a good hit out for us. And um, also yeah. it's a good chance for us to, to embrace a bit of history and, and look back at the club. We we were trying to get a few of the Swan City Mustangs, Darren Rawlinson, to come down. He doesn't think he'll be up to playing, but he's going to come down and, and meet the guys and have a look. So that'll be good for us. And, uh, as we build that culture of, of um, grabbing who we are and, and moving forward from there. We've also spoken to your brother, brother-in-law on this week's show. You're looking forward to, to having a listen to that when you get a chance? Yeah, what's what's amazing is uh, is the fact that he actually thought you were I. He reckons our voices are very similar, Chris. So oh, wow. okay. that one, he actually thought he, he actually thought he was talking to me the whole time. Yeah, I think he, and I think he did call call me. I think he did call me Mark a couple of times. Thinking back, but. Oh, well. well, that's a compliment <laughs> to you. Absolutely, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, let's take a look at the results from the Sweet 16 matchups in our tournament, and then I'll get your thoughts if anything came out as a bit of a surprise. First up, we had the Perth Redbacks with a 70% vote from our fans. The, the Perth, that's the Redbacks of 1990 over the Geraldton Buccaneers of 2019. The Perry Lakes Hawks of, the, of 1994 over the Joondalup Wolves of 2015 with an 82% vote. The Wanneroo Wolves of 2011 over the Lakeside Lightning of 2009 with 77% vote. Goldfields Giants of 2007 over the Lakeside Lightning with 67% of the vote. The Swan City Mustangs over the Perth Redbacks of 1989 with 71% of the vote. The East Perth Eagles of 2014 over the Southwest Slammers of 1995 with 63%. We had the Wilden Tigers of 2010 over the Goldfields Giants in the tight one with 56% of the vote. And finally, the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2003 
over the Lakeside Lightning of 2006 with 67% of the vote. Any, any immediate reaction to those results, Mark? Yeah, I actually think I was doing my uh, uh, final eight that we have a, a fantastic and deserve it of it. There's one or two that could have gone either way. Um, you know, that Southwest Slammers dynasty, we could have mm. had one of those come through, which would have been good. Um, and the Williston Tigers in a very close one got up. But when you consider some of the names like Toby and Johnson and, and Ty Shaw, who had experience, extra experience in Europe at that time, it's probably understandable that those guys got through as well. So looking at the final eight today, they're all well-deserved of making it. What about you, Ben? Did anything jump out as a bit of a, bit of a surprise, surprise result? Um, yeah, I guess for me it was similar to that. Um, I think that East Perth team's done very well. The teams are respecting yeah. the job of uh, Adam Ford and, and that size of Tom Jervis. I think if you look through all the teams, um, there's only one other seven-footer in the in the comp left, and that's Luke Longley. So yeah. you know, Jervis is in pretty good company there. And yeah, for me, it's when you get to these elite eights or the quarterfinals of a world champs or a Paralympic Games or Olympic Games, these are the eight best teams in the world, and these are the eight best teams uh, that our league has to offer. And if this was a day of quarterfinals basketball, it would be the best basketball you would see from 8 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, the way it just rolled on. Every matchup that we've got, you could sit down and I know Mark's got his formula that he's, he's gone through. I've got my little X's and O's one that I'm going through. Um, we could go through this 10 times each and come out with a different result. So the eight, I think we've got eight of the best. And yeah, looking forward to sort of having a chat and seeing where we think they're going to end up. All right, let's get into those Elite Eight matchups. And this first one, I think for a, for a lot of the talk that we've had about these 32 championship teams, I think, I think these two are probably the two that we had as our favourites to, to win the tournament from the start. So after this, one of them's going to be gone. So we've got the 1990 Perth Redbacks, the 1994 Perry Lakes Hawks. I'll go to you first, Ben, and, and then to you, Mark. As I went through this one, and I sort of looked more at the personnel and the, the playing, and then and how they how they played, I, I sort of went through, and I, I think the matchups are again very very even in this one. You know, Longley, a young Luke Longley, not many of us were fortunate enough to see him, but he moved like a gazelle in this league, and he did so many things in transition. He wasn't a, a lumbering big; he was up and down the floor, and I think Cupoff was just a, a skilled big down low, and I think they cancelled each other out. Chris Carroll and, and Craig Evans, it's almost like the Spider-Man meme where they're both sitting there pointing at each other. Their, their <laughs> careers are probably very similar and played very similar games. They cancel. Jimmy Tharp and CJ is the point against a sort of platoon of Gardeners, Bruden and, and Bennett at, at the point guard spot. You know, even there, where I split this one was just, there is no matchup for Andrew Vlahoff at this point in time. Mm. The closest comp he's got is, is Pete Hansen on Perry Lakes, and Pete Hansen was his backup at the wall. I think that was enough for me to put the Redbacks ahead, ahead in this one. Just just low mm. off dominant. Um, 35 a game is the only person in this competition averaging over 30. Yep. Just yeah, I think he was he was right for for the picking in this one. What do you think, Mark? Oh, for me, um, looking at this one, I was I was listening to your podcast today with uh, Ryan Gardner, and he talks about yeah. the toughness, about the toughness with of that team in '94 and how how physical they were. And I'd actually say I'd give them the nod. Most games that they would play, except they'd probably come up against a team mm. that could match them in toughness and, and then go the next level at, at in 1990. I've actually in my formula had interestingly both teams 
retired um, going on playing personnel, but yep. then I've actually just given it by one point. Uh, one point uh, came across with the Redbacks in their long long of Vlahov has been and said, and that is matched with uh, St. Perry Lakes with John Garner as a coach. So I go on for the Redbacks by one point in this one. So a very, very close battle, as I said, and I think that Perry Lakes team would beat most others on this comp except this Redbacks team. Yeah, it's almost a shame that it's a, that it's a quarterfinal matchup between these two because both of them are probably deserving of winning the whole thing once we get down to it. Um, the next matchup, your Wanneroo Wolves, Ben, from 2011 against the Goldfields Giants from 2007. Would you, would you take your team? Well, I might let Mark go first so he doesn't accuse okay. me of um, stealing all his ideas. So I'll let, let Mark go <laughs> this one. Uh, for, for me on mine, I've actually got the Giants team... Um, winning this one by one point but it's really really hard like I look that you've got to decide on each position on who wins what you know you've got Brad Robbins who was great as point guard for the Wolves in that but I've actually given the one point to Seamus Ballantyne which means the Giants get up by one in that battle that was there the really hard part for me was choosing coach and I won't say which way I went between two of my <laughs> good friends in Ben and and Dee Carlton so yeah um I said I had to give a vote on each one of the positions as part of my rules, and I've got the Giants by one in this one. What do you think, well, man? Yeah, I, again, I've gone through the matchups and I, I was able to see most of these guys play. And look, the similarities are across the quarter immense again. I mean, Damien Maddox versus High Shore, I actually had that one. You know, Damo's more of an offensive player. Shaw's a rebounder, so I sort of cancelled them out. JV versus Mike Haney, two beasts of a human being. And John John's role with us was more of that set picks and go and rebound. But uh, the year before, up our goalie, he'd led them in, in scoring before he came to us. So I, I had him and him and Haney in, a, in an arm wrestle for a tie there. Doug Gates and Todd Earl. They're almost mirror images again, both averaging eight points a game, shooting threes off the bench. Greg Hire versus Mark Heron. I just sort of had Greg slightly ahead on the um, just a bigger, better version, I guess. And then Seba versus Ryan Hume. You know, I've still sort of not in struggle, but I, yeah, look at him go. He's led the team in shots attempted at 17 or 18 a game. That's a lot of shots for, for Hume. No, no offense, but I just think that's a, a lot of shots. Seba for us was a bit more efficient. And I think Mark sort of my X factor is, is Brad. Robins in this one, um, we would throw Robbo at anyone from a one to a four. So whoever would would go be going off in a quarter or look like they were going to go off, whether it was Carter Cook or you know a, a point guard on another team, we would we'd give two or three minutes of Robbo. And I think that you know if if Yumi had started to go off, it was, Robbo would have switched across, or if we needed him on Seamus or or um, or Heron, I think you know Robbo would have would have gone and done that job. And I still never forget Greg Greg High's effort in that grand final. Thirty-one points and thirty rebounds is unmatched, and you know that that gets us across the line. But again, happy to be proven wrong. Well, the exciting thing is our fans will be deciding the winner, so that's one that we'll we'll put to them. And if you're listening, get your votes in for the team that you think will win, because you'll be deciding who advances. Now, the next one. Now, this is this is this is a fascinating one. It's the one with the biggest generational gap, so it's going to be fascinating. Which way the votes go, and how you how you guys both both see it. The 1991 Swan City Mustangs. I reckon they're almost the fairy tale story of this tournament, even though they probably did have five five imports, as we keep talking about. And the 2014 East Perth Eagles. Well, you've almost got the the two Cinderellas, if you will. Um, mm. You know, the Mustangs getting this far in East Perth, and then their run in 2014 was phenomenal. I just think this Mustangs team was was great. 
Uh, we've spoken a lot about James Jackson and Roland Brooks and Mark McCatherine and Jeff Spalding and Glenn Ellis and those guys. And we forget that um, they had a six foot six wingman named Patrick Langlois that was just an yep. absolute scoring machine that I don't think East Perth would have been able to handle. Um, any of their wings would have been not athletic enough. Muo or Don Largic wouldn't have been able to hold a candle to him. Um, and then at the defensive end, he could lock down anyone on that opposition team. And you sort of throw James Jackson and, and Glenn Ellis out there as well. I think this Mustangs team is just too big across the board. And Mark McCatherine is as good a, a good a low post player as we've seen. Deprese Owens, you know, those two guys really were a level above and they're out here. Uh, yeah, that Mustangs team's too big and, and too strong across the board. Mm. Mark? I agree. I, I agree totally with everything Ben said in that. I actually um, also um, you know, look at, at the numbers that, that match up and across the board. The matchups this week are even better for the Swans than they were last week. And mm. I've got the Swans winning this one and putting that dream run of the Eagles uh, bed. And I actually think the Swans um, are quite convincing in this one. Yeah, I mean, okay. they've, yeah, they've got three guys averaging 20 points a game and that's in a canter. Like that's you know James James Jackson's not averaging double figures or just in double figures. Where on on any night as we know, James Jackson win a game off his own hand. So mm-hmm. um, even looking at the benches, like not my one goes through the bench, and this Swans team was absolutely stacked on the bench. They had an import big off the bench who was a, a, a really solid player. Jeff they had um, young players that you know like the Darren Rawlinson that I spoke about that was you know a nineteen point scorer you know the year later, and, and Stephen Jost and this team was was outstanding across the board. They win this one, I think. Hmm. Okay, the last matchup. We got the Wilden Tigers of 2010, Prairie Lakes Hawks of 2003. Might go to you first, Mark, for this one. Yeah, for me, I, as I said, I listened to Ryan Gardner and he rather the 94 team better than this one. Um, yep. I actually look across the board at this 2003 team and I, I think it's the, the Hawks' strongest team in terms okay. of how flexible they were and how dynamic they were. And I've got the Hawks winning this one, you know, sort of, you know, the, the Tigers dominated in three or four positions, but across the board, I've got the Hawks. Mm-hmm. Ben? Yeah, I just think think about some of the best Australians that have ever played in this league. Blanet Hassett, Field, Malachuk, Mega, Joe Allen. That's five of – they're almost the year all-star five, given their careers and what they did. And big and physical. I spoke about being the human pinball. It wouldn't mm. have been the guard so much. I think they would have all had a turn at, as we, you know, when Dan Dan spoke about sending out um, Razor Ray Chamberlain to – to hit someone in the uh, in the grand final, I think you know they would have all just you know bounced him around a little bit, and made him really really feel it. Um, we know that they had um, Ty Shaw there, but underrated as an import, Lachlan Teasdale was the original janitor, literally clean what mopped the floors <laughs> at Perry Lake Stadium. He would have just done whatever he needed to do to, to get him across the line, and obviously did. And Simon Blannerhassett, I mean, we spoke about Wade Bennett last week. Simon Blannerhassett was as good as any Australian point guard. Lefty, smoother, just saw the game at another level. Made everyone play at his pace. Just a just a great player that I think would have would have had his way against the the guards of uh, Willerton. I actually I actually look at like Tovey and Johnson in that were outstanding players, and I just think about you know what you said about those Perry Lakes teams and and the number of people they would have been able to chuck at them and the team defense on those guys with big bodies just would have worn them down throughout that game and that Willington team's bench was was very serviceable but nowhere near what the Hawks was. Great. And you know you can frustrate DJ if you get under his skin you can well and truly put him off his game. And the Hawks are the team that would have. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been all of them would have been onto that so 
Was this a grand final played at Perry Lake Stadium as well? If it was at Perry Lakes, it would have even been nicer. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Actually, no, I think it's this one, 2010, for the Tigers, was that was that Bendat, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. No, I, think we, I think Bendat was open by then. Yeah, I think it was the yeah, first one at Bendat. Yeah. All right, Mark, I think as we speak, your team is out on the court training, so I might have to let you go, but thanks again for joining us and really looking forward to catching up with you next week when we've got four teams left in this tournament, which is pretty exciting. You should have let us know early, Chris. We could have sued you up for the legends. <laughs> that would have been ugly. But but you, you have lost your part. assistant coach. <laughs> That's it. I, I need to get your thoughts on, on what's, what's happened to your assistant coach. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's um, you know, one of the worst injuries you can get um, in sport, what Ben's done. And you know, I'd still sort of uh, testament to who Ben is. He's, he's still ringing us. He's, he's got more time to go through video. I've just sat down with the players pre-game and watched some of the training videos where we got them really tired and really gassed and then put them under the microscope of the video. And I can actually see some of our boys really starting to wilt and not get to defensive uh, responsibilities. And I think that's, uh, you know, that idea of, of what Ben's going to give us by developing some of our younger coaches and then also the video work in the next few weeks. I think he's going to drive us nuts with the amount of work he's doing. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. See you guys. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mark. Mark. See you, mate. See ya. Okay, big thank you to Mark Utley there for joining us on our look at this NCAA tournament to crown the ultimate SBL Championship team. By the next time you hear us here on SBL Shootaround, we'll be down to four teams. And if you have a look at those final eight teams, I think all of them are deserving of, of winning this whole tournament. So it's it's a really tough, tough job now. So make sure you get out and vote on our social media channels to be part of it. Um, been a big show. Had a had a terrific time, obviously, talking to Jared Prue, the Lakeside Lightning legend, and Bryn Jones, an all-round basketball great of, of Western Australia, and he had a fascinating story to share as well. So it's been another terrific show. I hope you continue to enjoy what we're giving you here on SBR Shootaround. We're now less than two weeks away from real basketball action in the West Coast Classic, so that's pretty exciting as well. Very exciting, actually. So Chris Pike is my name. I'll sign off for another week and leave you in the trusty hands of a wounded Ben Etridge. Yeah, laid up at the moment and was enjoying the comeback that I was experiencing, but <laughs> as it is now, the, the game's sort of been uh, wrenched away from my, my grips again and sitting here going back through the list of the movies and documentaries and all that sort of stuff and still in finding time to enjoy basketball and loving the final four that we're about to embark upon. The, the eight teams we've got remaining are as good as we've ever had in the SPL. I'm um, looking forward to seeing what people think and want to put through and who they want to put through and yeah, being, being up and about in a couple of weeks, hopefully, for, the, um, for round one of the West Coast Classic.